Have you ever considered a career change? Or maybe wondered if your current skill set can be applied in the medical device industry? Maybe you're curious about the practical steps needed to make that leap successful while you're in the right place. Whether you're looking to pivot your career or simply exploring new opportunities, this series has you covered. Today, we bring you a true expert in the field, Matt Kaufman, who's here to shed light on the two distinct roads into this industry, the clinical route and the sales route. So grab your notepads and get ready to unlock the knowledge you need to make a successful transition. Welcome to the Girls of Grit podcast, hosted by Annalisa Rhodes and Cynthia Facara, two professional women bringing you over 40 years combined experience as top performers, top earners, and leaders in the male-dominated medical device industry. Grounded in grit, our mission is to be ambassadors for professional women in the medical device sales industry, helping them tap into their potential, magnify their mindset, and escalate their careers by providing real-world, everyday scenarios, struggles, and solutions. Welcome to the Girls of Grit podcast. It's time to dig in. Good morning, Cindy. Good morning to all of our listeners. Good morning, Lisa. Good morning, everyone. We are so excited you are here. This is this is groundbreaking for us. We are starting our very first episode of a three-part series. Welcome today as we discuss breaking into the industry of medical device. So we are going to be sitting down with an industry expert to explore the ins and outs of making a successful career transition into this field. This field where Lisa and I have really excelled and enjoyed and gotten so much out of. Today, we are joined by the renowned recruiter, Matt Kaufman. He's going to dive deep into the world of breaking into the medical device industry. So Matt Kaufman comes to us as a partner and vice president at a med tech search firm, the Mullings Group, where 60% of his hiring executives are women, 60%. The Mullings Group is the most experienced global search firm in med tech, health tech, life sciences, and has been in business for over 20 years. Wow. That's, that's just crazy. That is a lot of years of experience talking with you know, top firms all over the globe. Uh, the Mullings Group is absolutely very well known to me as well as all of my colleagues and a lot of us on LinkedIn as well. So today, talking about this breaking into the industry, the very first thing that we thought we would uh, really talk about was the difference between the two paths that you may choose which within the medical device industry in terms of, you know, which way am I going to go? So the first path is more of a clinical path, and the other path is a sales path, and they are very different. And Matt does a fantastic job of breaking them down individually and understanding what are your unique strengths and advantages in each of those, and where do you fall in the process of figuring out are you going to go for more of a clinical role, or are you going to go for more of a sales role? 
Then he also dives into highlighting critical aspects on how do you differentiate yourself? What makes you, you? Why are you such a high performer in the current job that you have? And how do you now transition that into medical devices and allow the person that you're interviewing with to understand what you've accomplished in your previous jobs? And how does that translate into the medical device world, right? Because not all of the companies that you will interview with may understand what you currently are selling, but they do understand understand sales-driven results. So regardless of which pathway you choose, Matt will simplify the process for you. So grab your pen and notebook because we are about to dive deep into the beginning of your journey into breaking into this wonderful world of medical devices. So Matt, thank you so much for joining us today. We are extremely excited and proud to have you here with us talking about all things women as well as recruiting in the med tech device space. Well, I appreciate the opportunity to be on here. I love what y'all are standing for. We thank are you, Matt. too. We are too. So let's dive right in and talk about some of the most burning questions that we have been receiving from our listeners. Uh, One of the very first things, Matt, is a lot of our listeners are of the younger crowd and they're either trying to break in or they're new to the space and they're trying to figure out the best way to do this. Some are coming from the clinical background, like a nurse um, or a tech, and then others are coming from basic sales. So being the awesome recruiter that you are with all the years of experience behind you, what can you tell our listeners about the best way to go about landing that solid med tech device-based job? Well, those are two different roads. So let's do the clinical first. The, The nurses, the techs, the physicians, they all have a distinct advantage in that they have a captured audience. I mean, the sales reps and the clinical specialists and marketing folks, they all come to the hospital on a regular basis. So you have access to them constantly. And like most sales situations, they certainly want your ear and they they want your time. And so that's the perfect opportunity when you're grabbing lunch or sitting with them in a break between a procedure and bring up, you know, I had been thinking, what's it like what you do? Do you think that I would like it? You've gotten to know me a bit because usually those relationships are fairly deep. You know, someone's been taking care of you for a long time and and they know you to an extent. If you have the right kind of personality, if you have the right kind of uh, ability to build relationships and those things that would make it conducive to being successful in medical sales, because as you guys know better than most, it's hard. Now there's no way around it. So the clinical folks, the best thing to do is you have to be vocal and visible. You've got to speak up. You've got to ask. The challenge is how discreet you need to be. You don't want your hospital finding out that you're thinking of leaving. You're obviously in a bit of a precarious position if everyone finds out that you're starting to make requests for interviews and such. So be selective on who you speak to. I will tell you this, that majority of the companies I work with, they do offer some kind of a program that they'll pay you a finder's fee if you're a salesperson, you bring someone on board. So they have every reason to be careful and to help you. So you might want to use that tact as well. And the best part for you from a knowledge standpoint is you know the anatomy, you know the clinical space, you know the physicians, you know how to deal with purchasing, you know how to deal with how to behave in an operating room or a cath lab or a 
diagnostic situation. I mean, it's it's such a step forward from somebody who's never been in the healthcare space before. So I think that that part is is the easier side. Were both of you from another industry or either of you from the clinical or nursing side? So we actually have both. I am from the clinical nursing side. I was a uh-huh. nurse and actually a nurse practitioner. And so that this fits into more of um, the path that I took. And Lisa was right into sales after she graduated college. Yeah, we're not going to talk about where she went to college, are we? <laughs> <laughs> it was for music. It was for music. <laughs> hey, I'm an ACC. Yeah, all rival I do is play too. that war chant over and over again. That's the only <laughs> so, so switching gears though to the other side, it's it's definitely a different equation. the The competition's fierce. You have no advantage. You don't know anything about the healthcare space. So you're the same as anybody who sells copiers, who sells different types of like ADP type services, where it's payroll and human resources type things to somebody who sells any type of service or product. There's nothing that makes you stand out unless you're calling on a healthcare customer. So what you're looking for is the traditional metrics that help you stand out, which are your sales as it relates to quota, your ranking as it relates to the rest of your team, your consistency, do you do this every year or is it, are you a one-hit wonder? How long you've been doing it? And most importantly, how you've built up your region. That's one of the main things they look for. Okay, you got the region, it was where, and now where is it today? And then you obviously need to be articulate about being able how to explain how you did it. Because if you can't walk them through it, if you don't have a deliberate, methodical articulate explanation of this is what I did, this is how I approach it, and this is how I maintain it, then people are going to wonder if you actually did it. So those are the things that you have to stop and look at when you're getting ready for interviews is, okay, I need almost like a script where I can explain it to somebody who's not really in the business. Because if you can't break it down in a clear fashion, most of those people have not been in your space if you're not a medical background. If you're in I don't know, selling some kind of business equipment, how are they going to know anything about that? They won't. They won't know anything. So you have to be able to explain it in a way that anyone can understand it. And the easiest language is math. Stick with the numbers. Stay with things that are quantifiable. And usually that's enough to bridge any conversation with anybody. Uh, Would you like me to go on? There's much more. Well, well, yes. Go ahead, Cindy. Yes, I had one question when you talked about the, when you said numbers, but it made me think about the numbers of years of sales experience. If somebody is looking to get into the medical device industry, okay, med tech space, and they come from a B2B background, is there an advantage over X number of years, X number of growth, X number of wards? Is there a minimum to say you must have two years of sales before you pursue this field? I wouldn't say that. I I think that every person is an individual approach. And so I I don't think I would do that. I think if you have a track record of being in three jobs in three years, then there's a bit of a disconnect there. Like, why are you right out of the shoots changing jobs every year? But if you're just out of school and you've been two years at this one company and you're ready to go, that's fine. 
the look sales track record or sales track record there's no way to to make that less than what it is provided your numbers back it up but yes you're you're right in one part which is do you have a track record that suggests you hop around because that's one of the first things that they they look at when they're hiring and say you know, he or she was a year here, a year here, a year here, six months here. Why would I hire this person? And so if you're in a tough job, it better be a very good reason why you're leaving. If it's the second, third in a row, you can't just keep hopping around. I know the culture of the world has changed a bit with the next generations and people don't stay in careers for all their life. I get it. But when it comes to something like this, and you probably know it as well as anybody, no sales leader want someone to come into a territory, start to gain some traction, and then leave after six months or a year, because then you have to start all over again. And they've invested yeah. a lot of money and time into teaching and training you. It's, it's yeah. also opportunity costs. They could have had someone else in that spot who stayed for three years. And now they've not only lost what you did, but now they lost what that person would have done. So these are all great points. Uh, one thing that's coming to mind that I've had recently asked is, well, what about name dropping? What if I know so-and-so? Do you find that as a positive or maybe a negative with regards to, you know, the interview process with that interviewee? Well, that one's easy. Use this as your test. If you were walking down the street and you saw that person, would they stop you and say, hey, Lisa, it's, it's, it's Jeff. It's so good to see you. But if they'd walk right by you, don't drop their name. You don't know them. And, and that's always the, whenever I work on a sales role, whether it's leadership or, or an individual contributor, I always make sure that they never say they know someone that they don't know well enough that would stop them in the street. And, and you hear always the same response. Oh, and in my mind, that means they don't really know that person. <laughs> yeah. That's like a great that. analogy. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Yeah. You know, you'll see somebody famous on the side of the road, right? In New York. And you're like, Hey, Pat. And they're like, who the heck are you? And it's funny that you say that because I, I gave the same advice. I, I basically said, you know, you can't name drop unless you absolutely are very close to them. And you still have to be careful with that. Yep. You, you better know that that person likes you and not just think it's so. Yeah. Because I've had it happen with references and things in the past. We're like, yeah, call Tom. He loves me. And, get, and Tom goes, that guy? And you're like, oh, no. You know, and you don't know what to do with that information because you know, now it's a, not only is it a, not a great reference, but now it's bad judgment that you're giving me a reference to somebody that you don't even know. I don't know. It's, it, there's a lot of risk there. So you have to be careful on the name dropping piece, whether you're in the industry or not, just be careful. So would you say for our listeners that should you name drop, you should ask them first, if you are speak to them ahead of time and then say, I'm going for this interview. Do you mind if I use your name? Well, that's that's the ideal situation. It's not always easy because sometimes things come up in the middle of a meeting and you hadn't thought of it. And sometimes you're on a spot right there. I would err on the side of caution, but your way is the best way, provided that you can do that ahead of time. Yeah. So it seems like we're talking about, you know, characteristics of a person. Um, their, their character, what are they portraying in these interviews? You mentioned the sales performance. What's their recipe? Tell us what an ideal type of person that you're looking for in more of, you know, maybe they have two or three years of sales experience, they're top performers, but what else are you and honestly, your med tech companies looking for in this person other than are they hardworking? Because anybody can say they're hardworking. Absolutely. So 
what I look for is how they handle adversity. And there is not a salesperson on this planet who hasn't run uphill a couple of times. It's just the nature of what we all do. Because I see myself as a salesperson also, so I relate to this. This is not like I don't look at myself in the same vein. So be ready to tell a description of something that happened, that maybe you lost your best client due to something that was beyond your control. Or maybe your contact changed jobs and now you had to start all over again with a new contact. Think of things that were difficult to overcome and how you did it. So obviously we're looking for stories that are a bit more of a victory than, than overly negative, but they want to get an idea of, okay, when you get kicked in the shins, what do you do? So that's the first thing. The second thing is consistency. If you've worked for somewhere for, let's just say three years for easy math, and of those three years, you either went up or stayed the same for during that time period, then that's something to shine a light on. But if you're showing that you're up and down, or if you're showing that it's declining, you better have a darn good reason for why that's happening. Because what they love to see is someone who's at 104% of quota year one, 108% of quota year two, 112% of quota year three. They love to see that steady increase or at least just the steady part for what you've done over the time. And the last piece is there has to be a certain amount of creativity with everyone because how do you set yourself apart? Some people do it with personality. Some people do it with product knowledge. Some people do it because they have a certain level of just intensity and drive that they will not take no for an answer, which I'm not a huge fan of people who are aggressive and pushy, but in some sales, it works. But they look for people that have a creative approach. How did you overcome that? Your company was pulled off the vendor list. What did you do? Well, this is what I did. I knew they were going to be at this meeting, and I made sure that I was at the restaurant that they were going to be at, and I sat down with them, and here's how I handled it. And most hiring executives love that you didn't give up, that you came up with a creative approach, that you weren't afraid to do it, and that you closed it, most importantly. So those are the things that I would push on folks. Yeah, I agree with the creativity 100%. When I was first interviewing, and this goes back 20-something years ago, the lady that I interviewed with, um, someone had given me advice, bring something that makes you stand out that she'll remember you. And I knew that she was staying at a hotel. So I brought her a flower. I brought her a potted plant to make her room more like home because I knew that she was there for the week. And she told me that that was something that really stood out to her. And this was me breaking into the space. I had never done sales in my life. I was coming from a PR background. So that was me, you know, 20 something years ago for the younger folks. I think for those that are been in there in the med tech device space now for 10, 15 years, the creativity will come more from, you know, how did you handle the adversity? How did you get creative with the doctor saying no 10 times to you? What did you do to get him to say yes on the 11th time or the hundredth time? Um, this is all just fantastic advice that all of our listeners, I think, are probably shaking their head in agreement with. Hey, listen, it's it's supposed to be hard because if it wasn't, then everybody would be above quota and their the sales forces would be of 10,000 instead of the 100 that they are. I mean, it's it's difficult, but the difficult is what makes it awesome. And, and that's, I mean, think about it. At the end of the day, because of what we all do, patients get better care. And, and that needs to be the core of what you're talking about when you're interviewing. Never stray away from 
patients being the center of your universe. Because I think that's one thing that we all have in common. Nobody's in this because they don't care about people. Because then they'd be selling phones or some other technical Mm -hmm. nonsense or something that has nothing to do with caring about anybody else. So that's something else that we should add is your mindset should be patient first. 1000% like it would be with a physician. I think the clinical background of folks coming in would understand that maybe not so much if you've been selling cell phones you know, um, because you're not thinking about that, but you're exactly right. And what goes along with that also, and I've always said this and done this is any company that I'm interviewing with, I learn their products back and forth. I learn the procedures back and forth. I learn their credo. I want to know what their mission statement is, who's the leader of the company. You know, all of that, I think is really important to know it, to not only show them that you care about it, but that you believe in it. Because if the mission statement isn't with something that you want to stand for, then you probably shouldn't be interviewing with the company. No, it's the truth. I I ask people about that quite a bit. And it's not just sales, it's any function within medical. And I use this example. I mean, in some cases, you know, your brother has diabetes, your mom had a stroke, you know, you, your, your cousin had epilepsy. There's something personal about this. And that's the other thing that hiring executives look for. Is there something that connects you emotionally to this? And even though sometimes it's a little on the sad side or sometimes it's a bit pandering because you feel like, well, I'm using one of my family's difficulties to help me with this interview. And that's really not what you're doing. What you're doing is showing them that you understand. And it's showing them that you can relate to the physicians and the patients because you've dealt with this before. And it goes a long way. You know, I agree you stand, you stand out from someone else who's been selling something that has nothing to do with medical and they don't get it. They've never been in that room before. I agree with you on that. And, and, you know, as you mentioned, are two different pathways, clinical or just those coming from sales. So to just discuss the clinical pathway that yes, almost all people that would come in for an interview, if they're interviewing for a sales position and they have a clinical background, leading patient first, absolutely is probably what they're going to be thinking or where they should be thinking. But my question to you is, how do you help those that do not have sales experience that want to go from clinicals, clinical role to sales? Okay. Yeah. And that happens a fair amount. Usually what happens is those people drift into it from more of a clinical specialist role. They don't start as a salesperson. They come in as, I imagine you're familiar with the term because every company calls it something different, Mm -hmm. but the basic premise for those of us who don't know what it is, it's a bit of an entree to the sales world, but you're not carrying a huge quota. You're not the one responsible for all of the business. What you are responsible for is the relationships in the OR or in the cath lab, the relationships in the hospital, and you do the day-to-day of working with them, educating on the procedure or educating on the device. And it's a great gradual step into sales without having to dive in head first. Now, some folks are built for it. They just have gift to gab, their energy to spare. And I've seen them do it because a lot of times the sales reps who will get to know you will see some of themselves in you and and they'll ask. I've had it where the sales reps approach the nurse or the physician or the tech and say, what would you think about doing this? And that's the best is when they, they, they come to you. But if you are the one making the initiation into it, don't be surprised if they steer more towards a clinical specialist first. And that's fine. 
It doesn't last forever. It's a great way to learn because there's so much nuance to sales, more than your personality and your ability to connect with people. It's a process. And if you don't learn the process and just rely on your personality, eventually you're going to run out. You need to learn how to methodically be a successful salesperson. Yeah, I'm shaking my head. This is 1000% true. And, you know, not every clinical person is cut out for sales. Carrying that quota is not easy. And so I think it's also a good segue to decide if that is something that you want to do, if you are entering it as a clinical specialist first, and then moving into potentially a sales role or a sales associate role. Um, I would say to that, that if that is something you want to do, then ask your sales reps, hey, can I go call on so-and-so or Dr. So-and-so and I had this great conversation you know, he mentioned wanting to use our product in the next case. Do you mind if I go and meet with him and talk to him about our procedure and our new products? That gets you that beginning of the sales approach versus just clinical and being there to support the cases. Well, it, it's it's kind of like, you know, putting on a new pair of shoes and walking around the store. You yeah. Know, you say, all right, does these fit? Kind of hurt my feet. <laughs> You know, maybe I'll break them in and before you know it, you, you buy them and, and either you bring them home and they give you blisters or you break them in and you love them for the next two years. But you, yeah. but they really do need to test drive it a bit because I try to, to explain to the folks that are like what you're describing, listen, let me tell you what you're getting into. When there's a recall, when there is a backlog from manufacturing and they can't get your product, when sales training doesn't do what they're supposed to do, like all of that not sales training, but clinical education, rather, where they teach the physician how to use the device. When those types of logistic pieces come in and it's not your fault, you still are responsible. You're still the point of contact. And so you, you're not like this, well, I just come in, I sell and I leave. So it's not like that at all. And some, some roles are not that different from what they're doing now where they're on call. Some roles are not any different from what they're doing now in that there's a bit of a, a very stressful time in, in the procedure, even though you're not the, the nurse working on it. Although I wonder, Cindy, how does that feel when you're selling and you're not the nurse, but yet you know what to do? Is it hard to sit and watch? You know, there's sometimes, um, <clears throat> and we have some other clinical specialists who agree with me on this. If you're standing in a room and you're used to having hands-on, it does feel weird. Um, it is definitely an adjustment when you're used to being in that sterile environment and having your hands on the patient, which in this role in medical device, you do not. Um, it just takes a little getting used to yet at the same time, even when I've had clinical specialists that are just coming out of the role we discussed, like in the lab, maybe in the cath lab and now coming to work with us is just, um, they can bring value by speaking through what they're doing as opposed to hands-on what they're doing. It is an adjustment, but they get it. It's, it ends up being good overall, I, I would say. I coach a lot of youth sports, and it's okay. very hard to watch <laughs> someone else coach when I know what's open or what they should do or how they should talk to a kid. And I, my <laughs> wife laughs because I have to walk away. I can't, I can't not say something, so I just leave you know, because I, I, I don't have that ability. It sounds like you do, but I don't. Well, in the OR, you just said something that is very important. There's kind of an unwritten rule, or sometimes it is said out loud, that that is the place where if you see something and 
that's where you speak up. Now, you don't over speak about things, but if there's something that would help the case, something that you would maybe recommend a, a different product to work with something or adjunct to the case, that it is by speaking up, you're helping the patient. Again, patient first. Everything is driven for the impact of the patient. That, that's where you could speak up, but I get what you're saying on the other side. So Cindy brings in a really great point here. We are always going to be patient-focused first. It's always all about the patients. That's why we're here. That's why we're doing this job. That's why we get up every morning and go to work. So to summarize briefly, what Matt has done a wonderful job of really spelling out is, look, if you're looking to break into this space, which path are you going to take? Are you going to go down the clinical side or the sales side? clinical. You are the people working in the hospital, whether you're a a tech, a nurse, uh, a physician's assistant, you've got that clinical advantage. So use it to your advantage. Remember, you have a captured audience with both your physicians as well as the industry folks. If you're in sales and you're looking to get into the medical device world of sales, for you, concentrate on your sales metrics, your quota, your rankings, and your trends over time. These things are the important things to concentrate. And how do you get across how you're going to work in a medical device arena? What is so promising is there is no direct route to get down this road. Remember to set yourself apart, focusing on examples of adversity, consistency, and creativity. So now you need to ask yourself, are you ready, willing, and want to get into the medical device industry? If so, your call to action is quite simple. Choose your path. Will your road be clinical or will it be sales? So before we go, we want to make sure you know how to contact Matt. Matt Kaufman, K-A-U-F-M-A-N. He's located on LinkedIn. You can look him up by his name and also the Mullings Group. Thank you so much for joining in to another episode of the Girls of Grit. We hope you enjoyed this episode. In our next episode of our three-part series, we are going to talk about all things resume building. Have a great day. Bye-bye. All you need is a little bit of grit to be your best today and build for tomorrow. Find us on Instagram at the Girls of Grit, our website, thegirlsofgrit.com, and LinkedIn, the Girls of Grit.